Welcome to Resilience Unraveled, your regular guide sharing tools and expertise to build a life full of positivity and possibility. Here's your host, Russell Thackeray. So today I'm talking to David Allen. And um, I'm really looking forward to this because actually David Allen has some very interesting ideas around productivity and as the title of his book says, getting things done. And I'm sort of really looking forward for this as an interview because actually I'm, um, I'm someone who needs to learn something around this myself and I think it's really useful for people's resilience. So David, good afternoon. Russell, delighted to be here. Thanks for the invitation. And where in the world are, we, are you today, David? I am in Amsterdam, where I live. Been here for three years. Right, fantastic. So tell me a little bit about yourself. How would you describe to people what it is you do? I'm the laziest guy in the world. I spent 35 years figuring out how you could make stuff happen uh, with as little effort as possible and wound up developing, uncovering, discovering, testing, and then publishing and educating a methodology around how you do that. How do you surf on top of your world instead of feel buried by it? Wrote what's now a best-selling book called Getting Things Done. Uh, first edition back in 2001. Just wrote a new edition to, in 2015 of that book. And it's in 28 languages. It's all around the world. And kind of created a bit of a cult following out there in terms of people who sort of caught on to what this is and are utilizing it. So that's what I do. I have... a you know, basically, I have partners around the world that are distributing this education, the education around this methodology through training and coaching, and we've just partnered with people who could do better than us in terms of you know marketing and distributing this stuff. So that's what I do. Wow, that sounds fascinating. So we talked about we can talk about this on many different levels. Mm-hmm. So tell, tell me about the tell me about the life that came before this. We'd have to have a couple of bottles of wine, Russell, to really get into all the depth of that. <laughs> Let me see if I can shorten this and give you a freeze-dried version of it. Uh, lots of different professions, not knowing what I wanted to do when I grew up. I helped a lot of friends start their own businesses, discovered, hey, they call those people consultants, so hung out my shingle in 1981, created my own little consulting practice. Very interested in clear space I, and, and finding models that help people to do that so they could focus more on what they were trying to do. So I you know, researched and cobbled together uh, the best practices, both for, my, for myself first, and then turned around and discovered that what I discovered to help me keep clear in, in a complex world helped all the people that were my clients and helped them be able to focus more, be more in control, be more focused in what they were doing. And... So I put all that together. The, a big corporation showed, saw what I was doing. They said, gee, can you de- develop a training around what you're producing? Because we need that in our whole culture. And I said, sure. So I worked with Lockheed in 1983-84 and designed a pilot program for a 1,000 of their managers and executives, taking this methodology I'd come up with and put it into educational format. So that, that sort of catapulted me into the corporate training business out there where I was for... You know, I have been now for the last 30 years. It took me about 20 years to figure out what I'd figured out and that it was unique and nobody else had done it and that it was bulletproof. And so I wrote the book. Wow. And so, and so you, you, you skip over that as if it was a very easy journey, but I'm guessing there were a few setbacks on the way. <laughs> Come on, I'll be 72 this year, Russell. You, you, you know, you know, by this time, you, you have to have paid your dues and lots of miles on my tires. No, no kidding. So, yeah, it, it, it was not not necessarily easy. I mean, I, I, I wasn't particularly aspirational or entrepreneurial. I was more of an educator, I, I guess, and a motivator or, or a, a you know, 
as someone who liked to help people, uh, you know, improve their lives and their condition. So I was always interested in that kind of stuff, really more than trying to build a big business. And then it just turned out that I happened to hit a nerve out there, and that and it sort of became this brand that kind of ran out from under me. That you know, the the shorthand for getting things done, GTD, became this own brand that sort of spread around the world, especially in the tech community. They they caught onto it really quick, and so you know, then then it was trying to catch up with that brand as it was spreading itself around to make sure that people really understood what this was. It's a simple methodology. Um, but it ha it's rather profound when you actually apply it in terms of the, the behaviors and the practices. Mm. And so, and this comes, and so I'm quite interested in the idea that you you created something, then you discovered it was unique. And I think that's that's a particularly consulting approach to things, isn't it? You you, you sort of unconsciously innovate Yeah, I suppose, Russell. But look, I, I'm the laziest guy in the world, so. Uh, you know, I wanted to come up with, especially when I created my own consulting practice, I was really hungry for models that would work for anybody, no matter what, so that I didn't have to make it up every time I met a new client or had a new condition. If it wasn't obvious how I could help them, wouldn't it be nice if I had, you know, an arrow in my quiver, like a, a really good tool that was a methodology I could apply that no matter who it was, what level they were, what kind of company, what kind of industry, what kind of work they were doing, it would improve their condition. And so I, I wound up coming up with that and like, wow, that's really cool. We're now training kids seven, eight, nine years old with this methodology and as well as I'm coaching, you know, CEOs of major corporations right now with this same methodology. The different content in terms of what they put in it, but the methodology itself, and it's not something you're born doing. So it is actually something you actually need to learn and something that you need to practice. And it's a cognitive muscle essentially that you need to develop about how do I think about that email? How do I, what do I do with this thought I woke up with and wrote down on a piece of paper? What, what do I do with this situation I've got with a staff person I've got? And try to take all of that stuff and figure out what do I need to do to get that off my mind? And that's what I figured out. So, it's an interesting idea, isn't it? Because it sort of sounds as, as if it should be common sense, but you're saying, actually, this is something that needs to be learned. Oh, come on, Russell. You, the business you're in, I are in, common sense is not common. It's just not common. <laughs> We'd be poor if it was common sense, wouldn't we? You know, no kidding. <laughs> well, come on. You're in the, if you're in the resilience business, how, you know, how, how do you bounce back? Well, you bounce back when you're clear, when you've got clear space, when, when there's no residue, when you've got no baggage. Right. That, that makes it much easier to bounce back and to deal with surprise and change and so forth. And as you know, the speed of change is speeding up. So, you know, you know as you and I are speaking, you know, whoever's listening to this is getting stuff piled up in their email and their social media and their Twitter and their WhatsApp and whatever right now that could totally change what their priorities are. So if you know what you're doing, it's a great time to be alive. If you don't, you're toast. So lower, knowing how to deal with all that input and rapidly make quick the appropriate decisions you need to make about it and park those things in appropriate places, that's a lot of what I figured out was that that's really the, the necessary space in order to get space. And you don't need time, you need room. It doesn't take any time to have a good idea, but you better have clear head to have a good idea. Yes. And so when you wrote the book, I mean, I hesitate to ask this question because I think I know the answer, but did you, have, did you have to actually use your own material to be able to write the book itself? Oh, I know a lot of, people oh of course. Are you, are you kidding? I'm still my, my own major student. Come on. You know, I fall off my wagon regularly. You know, come on. I, I, you know, it, I, actually, if you're not falling off your wagon regularly, you may not be playing a big enough game. 
So by the very nature, in order to walk, you have to throw yourself out of balance, by the way. So, right. so the, the whole idea of, is not always being in some sort of clear state. It's just recognizing when you fell out of the clear state, how do we get back into it? And right. that, that's, you know, so yes, I had to, I had to keep practicing, <laughs> to keep doing that for myself. You know, trying to write a book while you're doing a full day and a half job during the day, you know, come on, I almost became an alcoholic for four years trying to write that book about stress-free productivity, which is kind of funny. But it was like, well, yeah, well, I was putting my whole 25 years of life work at that point into a manual, so it better be right, it better be good. So I had my own standards about making sure that, that it was, and it, it was an, an agonizing process to write a book about stress-free productivity, trust me. <laughs> yes. Well, and it's, it's, yes, and there's a sort of an implication when you're training anybody that you actually need to be good in it yourself and that you actually can show the your own techniques working. Oh, you so have to you, you have to model this stuff absolutely. Otherwise, you know, people very see a lot of what I teach and what we train and what we coach is instant. This is not just in case. It's just just in, it's just in time. It's like immediate right now. Look, what's on your mind? What's got your attention? What's distracting you right now? And so the the application of this is like an immediate situation. It's not like wait till you have a difficult conversation you need to have or wait till you have a presentation you need to give. Which are, those are great trainings, but our training is about immediate stuff. Like right now, you know, how do you get, how do you use these techniques and these these principles essentially to keep, get yourself as clear as you can, so that you can be optimally productive. And so, when you're using the word clear, tell me more about that sort of state, that concept. Well, you know, in the martial arts, we called it mind like water, you know, so your mind is not over or under reacting. So if you're taking one meeting into the next emotionally, or you're taking home to work in your mind or work to home in your mind, that's not a clear state. You know, so, you know, the best state to hit a golf ball from or to fire somebody from or to cook spaghetti from is when there's nothing on your mind except that. So being able to get rid of all the other distractions that essentially are, are sucking wind out of your sails, you know, if you're, if you're not handling it, the things that have your attention, whether that's a new vice president you want to hire or a business plan you need to write or somebody you're thinking, oh my God, I got to get rid of this relationship, you know, whatever all that is, those things that have your attention, there's an interesting inverse relationship between the amount it's on your mind and the amount it's actually getting done. So you don't have to go very far to see how to implement this methodology I came up with, which is just what's got your attention. Why is it on your mind? And if it's on your mind, that means there are probably some decisions about it you haven't made or you haven't parked the results someplace you trust. Uh, so <laughs> all you have to do is do those things. And then you get it off your mind. It doesn't mean it's there finished. It does mean that I've made it, I'm appropriately engaged with it. So Russell, the, you know, here's for you and your, all your audience, here's the big secret. Getting things done is not so much about getting things done. It's really about getting appropriately engaged with all of your commitments in life so that you can be fully present with tucking your kids into bed or watching them play football or, you know, cooking spaghetti or running a business plan. Right. So in a sense, it's, it's, a, it's a forerunner of an idea that's very trendy now about being present and having focus. Oh, yeah. Well, that's all the mindfulness stuff. You know, it's, it's really yeah. just, a, you know, it's, it's really about how do I manage my attention? I mean, attention is getting a lot of attention these days, and appropriately so, because that's a whole lot yes. about what, you know, what creates your emotional state, your physical state, your, your, your results or whatever. It's like, what are you putting your attention on? And yes. are you putting your attention on it in an appropriate way? In other words, if you keep thinking, I need cat food, if, if that pops into your head twice, you're inappropriately engaged with your cat. Right? 
Yeah. <laughs> because why would it pop in a second time? Because you didn't deal with what it meant the first time. All you had to do was write it on a post-it, stick it on your fridge, and whoever's going to the store next that can buy cat food will pick it up. Then it's off your mind. But until you do that, that takes up almost as much room in your head as write the new business plan. And either one will wake you up at 3 o'clock in the morning. So your head's for having ideas but not for holding them. And that was a lot of what I uncovered 30 years ago. And the cognitive scientists in the last 10 years have now validated that your head sucks as an office. It's it's not it's not the it's not the place to keep holding those things to be reminded of, you know. You need an ex, you need to build the external brain. So that's a lot of what my methodology, the getting things done methodology, is about. It's called get the stuff out of your head, make the appropriate decisions you need to make about it. Park the results in some trusted place that you'll see at the right time you need to see it, and that's what then gets you clear. And that's the most productive state to operate from. Right. And do you buy into some of these ideas that there are different times in the day where there, where you have a better chance to optimize your brain, to have more rigor, to have more Absolutely. Uh, mental, Absolutely. mental toughness almost yeah, to be yeah. able to do these things? Absolutely. There's sometimes I need a glass of wine in order to be able to do what I need to do. Sometimes I need to take a nap before I do it, and sometimes I need to do it the first time I wake up in the morning. But I just don't have any mm-hmm. rules around that. You just need to be conscious. <laughs> Excuse me. Yes. You know, how conscious are you? Yeah. And sometimes what you need to do is the thing that you're avoiding the most. And sometimes what you need to do is the thing that would give you the most fun. But yes. no, I wouldn't. I, that's my, those are my only rules. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's interesting, isn't it? That's absolutely right. It's interesting. I was chatting to someone yesterday on a resilience course, and we're telling, we were talking about this sort of similar concept, really, and, and them saying, well, that's all very well. It's all very well in a book. But, you know, in the real life, when you've got your bosh bosh shouting at them and they're tw- telling you to do 17, th- 17 things at once, mm-hmm. none of that matters. Of course. And uh, what, what would you say to that person? I say, hey, you know, you ne- don't try to look for some model that's going to get you off the hook to be moment to moment accountable for what you're doing, given the energy, the time you have, the context you're in, given all the levels of commitment you've got in your life. When's the last time you reviewed all those things? Have you hardwired your intuitive intelligence so you can trust your minute-to-minute, moment-to-moment choices spontaneously? You don't have time to think. You just need to have already thought. And most people haven't built in the reflective process nor an externalized process where they can see all the levels of commitments that they've been involved in. You know, and most people are trying to do that in their head. And you know, you're, you're dead. Four things. They now know that four things, if you try to keep more than four things in your head that are incomplete that you still need to do something about, you're screwed. You're going to be driven by latest and loudest, not strategy. Simple. Right. right? But simple, but <laughs> how many people actually write everything down that pops into their yeah. head that they need to or would or should do? That takes two years to change that habit. Yeah. And you say that, that, and that, so there's the writing of it down, and then there's the deciding what you do first, I suppose, as well, isn't there? Well, there's writing it down first, cat food, <laughs> right? Then you need to decide, well, what does this mean? Do we need to buy it? Whatever. Okay, and once you decide, oh, yeah, I guess we still need to buy it, then where do you park that reminder? You know, where do you put a list of stuff you need to pick up when you go to a place you could buy cat food? Right? In, in a way, it's that simple. Well, how about should we hire a vice president of finance right now or our or, or chief marketing officer? Which one first? Write that down, right? Then, then ask yourself the critical question called, is this something you're going to move on right now or not? Yes or no? You know, if no, park it on someday. Maybe park it someplace where you say, okay, well, I should revisit this in three weeks or three months or whatever. That's fine. Put it in a system that'll, let, that'll feed it back to you. And if you say, no, that is something I need to move on, great. What's your next action? 
What's the next thing you need to do? Oh God, I don't know. I guess maybe I, maybe I should research. Maybe I talk to Fred. I think he hired one of these guys. You know, great. What's the next step? Call Fred? Um, no, I should. Maybe I'll email him. Great. Now you've made a next action decision. By the way, what's the final result here? Right. The final result may be a project called Clarify. You know, the the senior team. You know, lineup. Now you got a project. But what I just went through, Russell, by the way, is something people are not born doing. As a matter of fact, they resist what I just did like the plague about all that stuff. They just let that stuff bang around in their head, and then they're hung up with it. They procrastinate about it, and then they feel bad. Yeah. So why, why do we procrastinate them? Well, because you're so smart, you're so sensitive, you're so classy that you sit there and in a half a second you can generate 4,300 phantoms of how many things could go wrong if it's not done perfectly and all the stuff you need to do to make it right and whatever, and you just freak yourself out and you quit as opposed right. to the old Top Gun. Maverick, engage, engage, engage. <laughs> just get yes. going. Pick up the friggin' phone, punch a number, you know, sit at computer, boot, key, you know, punch key, you know, come on. And so most people don't, most people avoid it simply because they freak themselves out about how many things must be involved and they don't like to feel out of control. So a lot of what, you know, my methodology did was just look, you need to clarify outcome and action. Those are the zeros and ones of productivity anyway. What are we trying to produce and how do we then allocate or reallocate our attention or resources to actually make it happen? But those two, those two things, and that's something I've uncovered in the last few years, reading the cognitive scientists about this, is those, those two questions that you need to ask essentially about every email, every conversation, everything that's on your mind, those two things, outcome and action, require two different parts of your brain. The visionary part says, okay, the, the, I get to mark this off as done once I've made a decision about a marketing officer or chief financial officer, Right or that I've hired one or the other, or I've set up the senior team, whatever you set up as the goal line out there. So that takes a certain part of your brain to identify that as something you're trying to accomplish. And then another part mm -hmm. of your brain says, well, geez, what do I do next? Do I pick up the phone? Do I boot the computer? Do I surf the web? Do I talk to my assistant? Do I, what do I do? Execution, mm -hmm. meaning operationalize mm -hmm. this thing. How do I actually then start to move on this? Requires another part of your brain. It requires the, the essentially the limbic part of your brain that sort of engages you, you know, it's the survival, you know, eat food, run away from the tiger, you know, actually make something happen in the real world. It, it, has, to, it, it has to engage that part. So that's why I say this is a cognitive muscle rustle that you need to train. How do I, how do I think outcome and action when those don't show up self-defined? You know, the late, great Peter, the late, great Peter Drucker, I mean, he, you know, when he defined knowledge work, it was said, he said, your biggest challenge as a knowledge worker is to define what your work actually is because it doesn't show up self-evident. You know, you're not hired to make and move things. If you were, unmade, unmoved things, make it real clear how to spend your day. You know, you, yes. you've been hired to implement diversity for 5,000 people making and moving things. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> now you have to decide how the heck you then organize your morning and what the work is about that and what you need to do. And nobody's doing that for you. Yes. And, you, and that's interesting in the way that you're describing it, actually. Um, it's resonating really well with me because actually what you're saying is, you're either visualizing or operationalizing, which is like it's a difference between the what and the how, isn't it? And actually, well, it's divergent. It's, yeah, what the what is. It's right the, brain, what, left. 
it's right brain, left right. brain, it's divergent, convergent. It, it, yeah, it's those two polarities of, of how, yes. we, how we engage in our thinking, for sure. Yes. And I, and I guess a lot of procrastination comes as you say that, you know what you want, but you just cannot get there. Yeah. And so, you, so it's either the most inefficient way of getting there, or actually you need to stop before you start doing the operational bit and figure out what skills you need to get you yeah. there. As a good friend of mine said, there are only two problems in the world. You, 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 you know what you want, but you don't know how to get there, or you don't know what you want. Yeah. So there's only two answers yeah. in the world. You know, what do you want, and what's the next action? You know, so those are the, and you're right. And it, interestingly, that's why, you know, back to our initial conversation here, common sense ain't that common in terms of people to apply. This is common sense stuff when you think about it intellectually, cognitively, or whatever. But for people to actually make that decision right now, how, how many of you listening to this right now, this podcast, how many of you, what's the backlog of email sitting in your computer right now? of unprocessed, undecided, what it actually means to you and what you're going to do about it, if anything, or whatever. And, you know, most people are going to go gulp. Yeah, well, I'm looking at my own list, actually, and thinking exactly the same that same point, really. <laughs> yeah, I'm well... looking at something very small and trivial, and some but, things are massive, aren't they? But, see, what's fascinating, Russell, is that the people most attracted to what I do and what I bring are the people who need it the least. They're already the most productive aspirational, positively focused people, they just throw themselves out of their own comfort zone given their creativity. And their systems yes. haven't caught up with their intelligence. Yes. One of the things I noticed, I don't know what you think about this, David, is that I, I meet a lot of people who, um, they know what they want, and the answer is always the same answer. So the how is always the same. So it's always the same. This is the problem. Well, we need to do this. Right, let's go and do it. And I wonder where... Uh, reflection or innovation comes in your process you know so how do so in other words where do we think a bit more deeply about how to do that how do we generate more options so well, we actually get a different solution well, to the same problem you know first of all people need to need to need to grow up a little bit and go well wait a minute what's the next action what's the yeah. Yeah, if you had nothing else to do you know russell if you look at your list of things to do that some of the maybe more gargantuan things staring at you that you need to do and I held your hand and I said, hey, Russell, excuse me, I'm going to pay you a million pounds if you just start moving on this. You wouldn't hesitate to decide, okay, let me make a bad decision. I'm going to go talk to my assistant. I'm going to go surf the web. I'm going to go write this email. I'm going to go buy some nails at the store. I don't know. But see, just even making that decision, if you said, is that the right decision? See, but see, now you're backing up to why people procrastinate. You're trying to make it perfect before you'd figure out, wait a minute, let me just get going. And yeah. a lot of those kind of things, and say, well, then what's the next section? Well, I don't know what to do. How would you figure it out? Well, I don't know. Well, great. Pick up the phone. Punch, you know, seven numbers, nine numbers at random. See who answers. You know, and then say, hey, by the way, do you know anything about? You're only six calls away from the Pope. Right? So you're mm -hmm. just avoiding engaging. Maverick, engage, engage, engage. And so even just yes. that first simple thing called what's the next action, as simple and mundane as it is, has a huge profundity to it in terms of just, mm -hmm. just doing that. And yeah, all kinds of people talk and talk and talk and talk and you know sit there and you know you know just waste huge amounts of energy and time because they don't make an action decision. So training yourself to think, what's the next action? Very specific, and I mean visible, physical activity. If you had to move the needle on this, had to move the needle on this, where would you go? What would you do? Right? 
And that's a decision most people are avoiding like the plague. Trust me, I spent thousands of hours with the best and brightest 101 at their desk, spending thousands of hours getting them to answer that question about stuff they've got their attention on. You know, it, it, I'm very um, I'm very taken with this because I, I love the pragma pragmatism of it. And um, one of the things that, again, was talking to us about someone yesterday was the, how much time we spend in work talking about how busy we are rather than <laughs> just getting on and doing the work. <laughs> right. Well, it's a kind of a badge of honor, you know. Yeah. Well, one day, hopefully, the badge of honor will be people that are willing to take a nap you know, between two and three o'clock in the afternoon on their office floor, like I yeah. do, you know, and the people who are willing to leave work at five or six o'clock in the afternoon, because quite frankly, they put it all to bed, you know, yes. uh, and, and have the rest of their life as a life, you know, but we'll see. Mm. Interesting. And so, and so what's interesting as well is you've done the entrepreneurial piece of building an organization around your brand and around your concept and framework. So can you tell me a bit about that, uh, aside from the book? How, you, you talked a bit, can you well, talk about how that structure works? Yeah, you know, I had kind of little boutique consulting practices with a couple of partners and, and finally bought them out. And, and then my wife, you know, who also worked with me and for me and was part of the company, we kind of shrunk it back to the two of us back in 95, 96. Kind of put my name on the masthead because my name had more equity than the process did just given how much work I was doing out there with clients. And so we created the David Allen company and built a website, started to, you know, do that, started to create essentially a brand around what we were doing. And then at a certain point, somebody said, gee, David, you better write the book. So I said, okay, well, let me try to get that done. So once I did that, and once the book hit a nerve, I didn't, I just needed to write the manual. I wasn't, I kind of had some hopes out there, but I really didn't have a hot, high level of expectation about how many people would actually buy into what I'd come up with. Because there was a lot of noise out there about time management and productivity and organization and all that stuff, even by that time. So I said, well, what the heck, let me just roll the dice and get it out there. And, you know, because nobody else seemed to have come up with it. And, it, and again, it was bulletproof because I'd now tested this in some of the toughest environments you could ever try to, you know, in, you know put this in and it went viral inside of those those corporations. So I said, okay, this is probably really good stuff. So let me write the manual in case I get run over by bus. Somebody may figure it out at some point, but let me just do that. So I didn't, again, not very entrepreneurial or aspirational, but at some point, then the world just started to knock on our door. They read the book. They went, oh my God, David, can I do your stuff? This seems so cool. Can I represent you in Russia? Can I represent you in Brazil? Can I be your rep in, in you know, Australia? I mean, whatever. Suddenly the world started knocking on our door. And I said, well, right. fascinating. Well, my wife and I then had to make a decision. Should we just keep this a boutique sort of thing where I could just do my own speaking thing around the book and, you know, you know there's, that, there's that game you could do. You know, Drucker never even had an assistant. You know, he was so, so, <laughs> it's funny, he was such an expert in organizations, he didn't have one. And yeah. so, so that was one option. But again, I said, well, wait a minute, this is such good stuff. It's, you know, the world really needs this and, and everybody can use this to help improve their lives and, and their conditions and it's easy to do and, and whatever. So I'm not going to hold it back. And so I said, okay, let's see how we could scale this. And so, you know, even several years ago, it's the only way you could scale what we were doing because I wasn't interested in hiring a lot of people or managing. I'm not, that, I'm not good at that. But the only way to do that would be partnerships and technology. 
So frankly, it was the partnerships that then showed up that said, okay, we finally ran across people actually, they came to us and said, hey, David, we have this market, we have this distribution capability, and we really love your stuff, how about it? So long story short, by the way, very long story short, the last 10 years. So we wound up partnering now with um, the, uh, the SM Cove organization that, that built, they, they built all the, the international work of Franklin Covey and the Seven Habits. They spread that around the world. And so they left them and, and then built their own IP, uh, 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 sort of IP franchising business. We were the first on their list. They, they were looking for boutique IP that wasn't global yet. And they, they said, okay, how can they use their expertise, legal and management and marketing and so forth, to be able to settle those, set all those things up. So, again, long story short, we partnered with them. We just partnered in the last few months with Vital Smarts in the U.S. Uh, that does crucial conversations. A fabulous, fabulous organization. Uh, a very successful training company. Uh, building, yeah. you know, doing certifying internal trainers inside of corporations. And they now are our exclusive partner for our methodology in the U.S. and Canada. So we've built these partnerships now. So we essentially, I've, I've, I've expanded by shrinking. So our companies now, we used to be up to 50 people. We're now down to about six. <laughs> so, because we're now an IP licensing company, which is really, you know, come on, I'll be 72 in a few months. So at this point, I'm going, yeah, you know, kind of kind of nice to have a bunch of partners out there. And that's, that's kind of the, our long bet that, that, that you know that all that will work just from a licensing standpoint of our methodology, and I'm still you know doing these kind of podcasts, and you know still sort of holding the flag out there around the world. So I'll be I'll be yes. in Mo- I'll be in Moscow Sunday, so I'm doing a master class there and with our partner there, and so we're you know we've now spread ourselves around the world doing this stuff. So that's fun. Brilliant. I mean, that's a very interesting, a different model, isn't it, than, than the usual, the sort of brand building model. I, and then I guess all you have I, to do now is build your brand and keep the IP fresh. Yeah, I guess. But again, Russell, it was kind of a brand that ran out from under us. We, we weren't even out into brand building. There's suddenly people sort of caught this GTD thing, especially in the tech world, and it started to spread around the world. There are over 300 yeah. app, software apps now purporting to support the GTD model. Not ours. There's people go, they, they kind of caught this. And they said, wow, this is really cool. So this thing sort of spread around. And so another reason to kind of go global was to make sure we could protect the brand and the, and the, the integrity of the IP, you know, as opposed to a lot of yes. people pretending they knew what it was. It sounds real simple. When you read the book, it seems like a real simple thing to do, but there's much more elegance to it than, than meets the eye. Yes. Well, as, yes, I understand that totally. It's uh... You don't give it all away in the book, do you? I mean, part of the training is the, is the knowing how to do the how. Because actually, that's, that's actually, the secret. I, I, secret, I, I, secret. I, I give it all the way in the book. <laughs> I, I wrote the whole thing so that you truly, it's just, you know, very few people are willing to sit down and actually go do it. You know, so it's really, yeah. it's really open source in a way. You, know, you just read the book. It's all there. Yeah. So tell me, if I want to get my paws on the book, or if any of our guests do, uh, how, how are they going to do that? Where did they find it? Anywhere they can find good books. You know, the, the new edition of Getting Things Done. Uh, certainly, well, you're in the UK, so Little Brown has, has published that. So, you know, there's the UK version, you know, where you misspell all the words with the OUs instead of the O's, you know, and so forth. So, but that's okay. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. That's right. Yeah, indeed. Fascinating, though, Russell. Uh, We looked at the numbers a couple of years ago, and actually, per population, my book has sold more in the UK than in the US. Really? As a as a percentage of population, yeah. 
Yeah, so, so, yeah. So it's See, pretty, we take action. Pretty, we pretty, take action when it comes to buying things. <laughs> At least that, yeah. Tim, that's been really useful. Thank you. So, so, um, I, uh, and, I and by the way, they can go continue to buy the book. I, I, I know that the sales of the book will go up by one today because I'm off to buy it and I want to have another look at it. And I, I scanned it very quickly before I could chat today, but I want to read it properly now because I think it speaks really usefully and especially to people who are, um, um, who perceive themselves as being time poor because most of us aren't really, are they? That's the problem. Well, here, isn't fun, what's funny, Russell, is I saw an HR um, survey or, or a study that was done many years ago. The people who self-assess as the most disorganized are, are, are assessed as the most organized by everybody around them. So, yeah. again, it's the people that sort of need this the least that are most attracted to it because you've raised the bar. Yes. You already know the value of a system and you know, you're out, you, you know your system's not keeping up with what you're trying to do right now. And those are, yeah. that's, so if you're in that category, you will love the book. It'll, that, that'll speak to you. Yes. I suspect my colleagues will be buying me this book, actually. <laughs> I have to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Tim has yeah. been a real treat. To, um, to, to, to talk to you today and um, thank you so much I really um, I really think it's been brilliant and a really good introduction to your sort of thinking process and uh, thank you so much for your time and I wish you continued success and please everybody rush out and just buy this book it sounds fantastic yeah and if you want to know where these trainings are being done just go to our website gettingthingsdone.com and you'll see our global partners yeah. we're doing this all over the world so uh, take a look so, so we'll put links from our website to yours, and um, hopefully that'll be great. And we'll put it on Amazon, our Amazon links as well, so that'd be super. David, it's been a joy to talk to you. I really enjoyed it, actually, and uh, I've learned a lot myself as well, so that's always great. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Russell, yes, wonderful. Fun for me, too. Thanks. Good. Take care, David, and I'll speak to you again. Take care. Right on. Thanks for listening today. I hope we really got some value from that. I certainly enjoyed it myself. Remember, there's only other podcasts and with tools and techniques, different speakers and different resources available in this series of Resilience Unraveled, so please feel free to subscribe. Why not also drop across to Facebook and join?